Welcome to Amplify. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn. Welcome, welcome to Amplified. I'm your host, the stunt double for today. Uh, I'm Michael Fritz Friends and family call me Fritz. I'm very good friends with Dr. Ken. And he tapped me to be on the show today because he was called away suddenly. He had to be at a funeral. And uh, the running joke is, you know, they wanted to find somebody that looked and sounded just like Dr. Ken. And that guy was busy. So you've got me. But I'm an experienced podcast host. I've been doing it since mid-2019. So I think you're in good hands today. And I was talking with today's guest, Ty Shane, and he's like, man, I feel like I'm in good hands. And I said, all right, well, that's two of us that I think we're going to have a good time. So Ty, welcome to the show, man. It's good to see you today. Yeah. Hey, Fred. Thanks for having me on. Anytime, bro. Anytime. Now, I couldn't pass up the opportunity. I could not pass up the opportunity because although I've known Ty for really, it hasn't even been a month yet, dude. It has not even been one month yet. And already I am like, this guy has got an amazing story. And I thought, well, where better than Amplified to unpack this guy's story? You know, we're both philosophers at heart. We're both very mindful of what we're doing in life, how we work, how we operate, how to become the best versions of ourselves. So Ty, I'm very glad to have you on. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Like if you had to give yourself an elevator pitch about you, what would that look like? Well, my elevator pitch is basically an internal reflection of anybody. It's uh, starting points and where we currently are. And basically, for me, it was childhood experiences around adoption and being taken away from parents. And then like a teenage uh, experience of starting to internally unpack those experiences without any like education or guidance on that and so that turned into addiction and then my 20s battling addiction incarceration and institutionalization and and i would say uh, a lack of worth and then as i get into my 30s it's been now um basically how those experiences in our life actually work for us and so since changing my entire perspective on basically almost my entire life my future has started to change. And so, I mean, my elevator pitch is it doesn't matter basically what we've been through, how are those experiences working for us and how has that impacted who we are today? And so the the gratitude and the beauty of that journey, that's not just in me, it's within all of us in our own stories in our own ways. And so uh, I mean, that that's my that's my message in a nutshell. It's not even necessarily like my story isn't about me. It's about all of us and how our stories ourselves continue to shape us. Yep. Yeah, we were talking a little bit before we hit the go live button here, before we hit the record button. And it's like, you know, too often we go through life and we think that life is happening to us. It's actually happening for us. And, you know, there's been, I think all of us, Everybody that has ever been human at any point in, in time has gone through a challenge where it feels like, why is this happening to me? And then if you kind of 
walk circumspectly, if you're looking around and saying, okay, here's who I am today, and here's why I am the way I am today, you can look back at a key point in the past and say, oh, that thing that happened back there that I thought sucked so bad actually was for my benefit. And then I was talking with Ty and I said, you know, I think about the times in my life where I went through some stuff and I wish I had made better decisions. I wish I had done some things differently. And now it's like, well, had I not gone through that, there are aspects of myself that I wouldn't be strong. I wouldn't be nearly as ready for battle in this particular area as I am now. And then I look and uh, I don't know if you know this, Ty, but we've got four daughters, ages seven, nine, 12, and 13. And I often look at them and I think, okay, I mean, they're not going to grow up to be just squishy women, right? They're going to they're gonna have some, some chutzpah, right? And it's like, well, shoot, I wonder where that's going to come from. What crazy decisions are they going to make? <laughs> you know, I mean, that kind of that kind of hangs over my head as a dad, man. So <laughs> do you have kids, by the way? I do not have kids yet. No, no kids okay. yet. All right. Well, this, it's a possibility, man. So you'll, you'll, one day you'll get this. One day you'll understand this. You'll understand. So you mentioned before you said you started to experience this this feeling of lack of worth, right? And when when did that really start? Like when you felt the results of that, like walk it back. Like when did that actually start those enter those thoughts entering into your mind about, man, I'm not really worth anything. And where did they come from even? So for me, for me it, it, it it's been ingrained based on childhood experiences. So I was taken away from my birth mom at four years old by DCFS and so basically, I mean, I can't tell anyone specifically how it was that I, as a four-year-old, five-year-old, and six-year-old, internalized those experiences. What I do know is like, so, I mean, if you're listening to this, you can't see it, but like across my knuckles, I have forsaken. And that's just a really good representation of how I perceived my my life. Um, and so, I mean, that's just been a part of my identity for a while basically since a kid, um, due to lack of, uh, kids children don't have the ability to analyze and perceive their environments like that and their, their experiences. And so that just became a, a little, I don't know, a little, a little anchor for a demon, basically, um, my entire life. And so, um, that whole experience just left that feeling of not being good enough, not being wanted, when in reality, I didn't understand at all the scope of that situation. And so right. that would be, um, yeah, yeah, that 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 would be a, a big part because even in my later teen years, I had like, uh, how do I say it? Like abandonment um, triggering experiences. And so like that, that, that original, like uh, internalized piece of my identity over the next, you know, 15, 20 years was basically a, a building block for some some negative, you know, uh, identity, um, I don't know, belief points, I would, I would say. Um, and so I think with that, the real important question is, is when did it change? And when it changed was at 29. So from four to 29, basically, that's where I lived at. And then at 29, I met my birth mom. And that's a whole story in itself. Um, but I met my birth mom finally, and that is when everything from before basically it got like almost like a spiritual unpack, and I had to look at it all over again. 
and I saw it from a completely different angle. And that, that experience is where the forsaken became basically blessed, which is funny because my last tattoo right here is blessed. Um, but that's when I realized how blessed I was to have been taken away. And that's when everything starts to change because my starting point that my identity was built on was completely faulty. <laughs> so, <Yep. laughs> so there was like a forsaken um, identity and uh, it, it was uh, not forsaken is the right word to be, but uh, uh, what do you say? When I, a house is condemned, it was like I had a condemned foundation. And yeah. so after that, I mean, I haven't gone back to drugs since about six months after that moment of being my birth mom. It's about six months. No, it was about nine months later is is when I've been sober since. And from that point, I was doing some pretty hard drugs. Um, but that 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 had to have happened. And that's when I also started to believe in God. So that's when a lot of things started to come unravel. But that I had to kind of take that question to not just where did it start, but like what was it and what was the correlation to my past that, you know, brought that out and forced me to, um, you know, renegotiate with my identity. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Yeah, we had to, you know, I used the analogy before, before we hit record about how a conversation like this is kind of like starting at the, at the beginning of a path through a wooded area. It's like, hey, we're just going to go through and see where we go. Like if we find a fork in the road, we're going to both take it together. But we came out the other side. And, you know, it, it's amazing to me to this day, it's like we still kind of expect little kids, like four-year-old kids, to have these big adult, like 29-year-old, 42-year-old thoughts, right? And it's like, <laughs> they're not there yet. It's like a, it's like playing World of Warcraft, man. They're at level four. There's going to be some things that they cannot do yet because they're not ready. And yeah, I can imagine too. It's like when I was growing up, there were some things where the the different thoughts that I was required to have about life. And it's like, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense. And I don't know what I'm supposed to think about this situation. I just don't know yet. But now looking back, it's like, oh yeah, I totally get it. But I can't project my adult brain into my child self, you know? So, uh, so when did you have your encounter with God? Like what, what happened with there? Talk, talk about that. So, I mean, if, if if I were to write a book today, it'd be something about like when, when you don't even see. And so my journey to meeting my birth mom, it was like, imagine God was standing next to me, guiding me, but I had no clue that God even existed because I had already discounted God. Right. And so basically I went through this journey, um, which required me to make hard decisions. It, re it required me to move my legs. And just by having done that, it was almost like I had this little... I had this presence as I, looking in hindsight, guiding me to make sure that, you know, I got to my destination. Um, and so it was a really big hindsight. Um, once I got out there. So, I mean, it's just a whole story. Um, I, I basically was about to go downhill. I knew that if my car got repoed, I was about to make the same dumb decisions that I made. I was in the midst of an addiction. Um, I was really, really, really deep, about as deep as you can go into an addiction, and I I had to make a choice, and I made a choice, and the choice was basically, I'm um, going to be reuniting with my birth mom, um, and even if, even if everything went south, I would still, you know, it was opportunity to get away from my current environment, 
And so I left with literally nothing that I needed to make the trip. Didn't have the money for it. Didn't have the gas for it. Didn't have anything. Well, ended up getting, you know, 1800 miles away um, in about a week. And that whole trip, when I'm going through it, I'm not seeing anything. I'm just thinking, hey, I'm just pushing. I'm moving, figuring things out. I'm landing in the right places. I'm doing the right things. And then after that, after me and my birth mom, after just being shaken up inside, after like literally all sorts of previous life situations hitting me in a new reflective light of myself, I started to finally unpack things differently and see, I started to, number one, any anger for my birth mom turned into compassion and it turned into empathy. Um, and then as well, basically, um, right after that, uh, when I ended up getting a job out there, I had someone, an electrician come in who used to be an addict and he used to, um, you know, do drugs and his life was in a downward spiral, lost his daughter, everything. And so he ends up working on the same job as me and I'm just there. I mean, it's just right, right place. It was just, it was an amazing, um, it was amazing, like setup for life for that time. And he started talking to me. Um, he, he reeled me in really well, um, to get me listening again about God. And so he would, he would basically, um, water me every day at work. And I just built up a ton of respect for this guy for everything he's done, everything he's been through, everything he's overcome, you know, especially as it relates to addiction. And so it was about that time where like after everything had happened, my mind was in a different place. I'm like, what just happened? Where am I? What am I doing? How did I even get on this track? I mean, like a day after I met my birth mom, I'm already in the Ohio State University college admissions office. So literally I put drugs down and I was like, I was hard into drugs. So the, the, the form in which I was doing drugs, put it down like that and come over to here is such a contrast. So this day here, I'm doing drugs. Eight days later, I'm I'm eight days clean, and I'm walking into the Ohio State, uh, the Ohio State University's uh, admissions. And so, like everything that would that happen, I I can't put as one specific thing, but it was all these different moments brought together, and um, and then it was the influence at the end, and then with that influence came more understanding. And then as I continue to look back and look back and look back and just be like, what just happened? Um, that's what really opened my my eyes and my vision. And it's like now is like, obviously, God wasn't literally standing next to me, but it feels as if in those moments and on that journey that God was with me. But in that moment, I didn't believe in God. In that moment, I didn't give any credit to God. And mm -hmm. so that's why even now it's like, Okay, God is there even when you aren't looking for him. And so it's like when we talk about like grace and mercy and tender love and forgiveness and all of those things, I was in church yesterday and I was literally bawling my eyes out while we were singing because I just kept thinking back to those moments. And I'm literally thinking like I had no idea. I had no clue. I was just broken, lost, confused, didn't know what to do with my life. And I know definitively now in that moment that that was like a God moment without a doubt, because one thing, two things, three things, sure, maybe you can write it off. But once you start getting to the four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, it's like, okay, whoa, hold up. This yeah. is not coincidence. This is not just some like happen chance, you know, journey. Like 
<laughs> there is more to this because this was the only way out. And the fact, it, it's just so crazy now because it's, it's like I look at that to even get to believing in God again and to to, to healing, going on that journey. Like uh, I had no clue what I was setting out, out for specifically. I just knew I wanted more. And I had no idea what those next steps were. I just knew I needed to move. And so it's like, <laughs> this is such a good conversation because like, take that experience in life and apply it to wherever I'm at now, wherever you're at now, wherever anybody is at now. It's like those times where we didn't think we we're going to make it, those times where we didn't think that, you know, we could push through, we didn't have the strength. Well, it's like, take those same feelings and everything that happened afterwards, apply it to now. It's like, you're going to be okay. Just yep. don't stop moving. <laughs> don't stop moving. But, but that that's that's how my that's how my God, um, my relationship with God starting to be rebuilt again. And it wasn't like an overnight, like, I woke up one day and I was like, "Woohoo! I love God." Um, it was a it was a process of internal reflection, of you know, learning, um, hearing you know what other people have to say, and then um, really just diving deep within myself. Um, but I mean, some people are like God, Allah, Buddha, whoever it is. For me, it's God without a doubt. And um, yeah, so that's just been a big piece. And like, I get baptized next month. Um, so cool. I've made a, I made a big shift. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, I'm just filled with gratitude for it. Like, um, if I were to compare my emotions today to the emotions that I felt in my yesterdays, like today doesn't even compare, you know what I mean? Like the moment when I was in a cell and I literally thought to myself, like, this is it. This is my life. Like get used to it, Ty. You're going to literally be in these environments you know you're gonna you're not gonna be able to overcome your addiction um this is it for you like having that brain marked and then now where like i'm filled with love filled with compassion um you know i feel god's presence in my life and then to go back and compare that to when i had the complete opposite it's like <clears throat> to me it's really powerful um my, my words probably don't do enough justice to how powerful that is to me um, but yeah, so that's, that's a little bit of my journey there. I love it. God is amazing. You know, as you were telling your story, I was thinking back to a Bible verse and I can't, I, we have Google these days. I can just look it up, but it's the <laughs> one that talks about, and it was in, it's in the Psalms somewhere. And I think it's the one where David was writing about how he enlarges the Lord enlarges my steps under me, meaning you can just take off running in a direction. And it's like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta make sure I got a good place to land. It's like, just go. And every single time your foot hits the ground, it's like you've got a nice, thick pad of concrete, big, big <laughs> foot. It's like you can't miss. You can be a foot off. It doesn't matter. You're still going to be fine, right? And so often, and, and I love how you said when you realized you just had to start moving. I just got to get up, move my legs, do the thing. And then yeah. when you look back, it's like, okay, yeah, there were like 793 different instances where – there's no way that could have been a coincidence that had to yeah. be. And so, yeah, that's how, that's how long it took me. It's like you mentioned, you know, four, five, six, like, ah, there's a pattern here. There's something it, it took me 700 plus before I was like, wait a second, there might be something here, but years <laughs> ago. And I was just sharing this with my wife, Charlotte, the other day, I said, you know, it's kind of like praying for patience. Don't do that, by the way, unless you're really just a glutton for punishment. I'm kidding. But when you pray for patience, then God gives you opportunities to be patient. And it's like, uh, I did bring this upon myself. But praying to see God's hand work more in your life 
Fact is, he's going to be doing stuff all the time. He's always doing stuff all the time, whether you know it or not. And when you ask for that, it's like, he's still going to be doing stuff just as much, but you're going to be able to see more of it. You'll be like, oh, that's a God thing. So is this. So, well, goodness gracious, it's all around. So it's amazing. I'm glad you can see that, man. Not a lot of people your age, you got to be in your 60s before you start seeing that sort of stuff and be like, hey, wait a second. There's something fishy here. That's a God thing. I got a question for you. So you mentioned, you mentioned earlier, you said when when you remet with your birth mother and the anger that you felt, how it sort of turned into empathy. What was that like? I mean, did you did you kind of still have the anger, but it just wasn't stuck to you? Like it's like I'm I'm a nonstick surface now. I'm Ty the Teflon man, and it's just the anger's not sticking. There's just empathy from the inside out. Like what, like what word picture could you use to describe that transformation? Um, imagine something that that maybe I don't know. I uh, I'll just go into context really quick. So like when I was 15, 16, 14, 13, if I had a friend and ever came up in discussion, I would say like, yeah, if I ever saw my birth mom, I'd run her over, turn around, and then I would run her over again just to make sure I ran her over right. And so then obviously that's, you know, definitely a bit younger, a little bit more angst and then get fast forward to when I actually meet her and I get more of the story. I get to actually like feel her presence more than anything and like connect with her on a a far more emotional and like intimate level. Um, It's it's now what I see because she was only 13 when I was born. So she was a victim herself and her experience put her into even more vulnerable situations. And then she had to fend for herself over, you know, the next handful of years because she was blamed for things that happened, even though she was a victim. And so she was doing the best she could as a broken, battered, exploited child. And so the year, my first four years of, of life were basically her going through her experiences as well. So it's like, it wasn't even, like the story doesn't even begin with me. It ends with me, but it doesn't begin with me. And so my 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 uneducated, emotionally driven mind did not perceive what she was going through. And so people do the best they can with what they have. Doesn't mean that that makes it right what they do, but that's just, it is what it is. If you don't know how, you don't know how. She's basically running off eight, nine, 10 year old uh, experiences for like what to do next, how to do things. And so for her, she didn't really stand a chance. And so um, thank God I was taken away. And that's nothing against her. It's just like she, she just wasn't equipped. She wasn't equipped to have a kid that young. She didn't have the setup or the support. Um, the fact that she was able to for four years, like that's even in itself, like there's a little bit credit there that she was trying and doing the best she could. Um, and so just understanding more of the story, having lived through addiction already and seen women that were in addiction, you know, uh, environments and exposures, childhood trauma for her sexual childhood trauma and all these different things, it adds a whole new gravity of understanding and, um, compassion so i think a part of it too is my experiences of seeing how other women were through addiction while i was in addiction it helped as well really empathize and understand like there's reasons why things went the way they did and i shouldn't be angry at her and so um i mean 
that that's the biggest thing is it's like how can i be mad at her <laughs> how can i be mad yeah. at a 13 year old for doing what 13 year olds know how to do especially when that 13 year old was never really shown what to do and so um yeah so i mean that that's the premise of it right there uh is is just you know like what would you do at 13 if you had a kid to go back to 13 year old self but then also add into there like everyone goes through their own things but like if you were to add her personal experiences to your 13 year old self i would literally lose my mind <laughs> <laughs> i would too man because i remember me when i was 13 i was not equipped for that sort of thing yeah. hey, no way sir i i'd i'd fumble the ball no and it and it's you know again going back to what i was what we were saying before it was like too often we expect people to do the equivalent of hey here build this house but all you have is a hammer it's like well mm -hmm. when you're 13 years old you only have a certain number of tools in your toolbox and i know we try to you know teach kids as much as we can as quickly as we can but life will afford experiences for you to learn things and develop new tools and new you know ways to solve problems but you know, when I was in the software world, they had a saying where it was like, just assume that everybody did the best they could with what they had available at the time. They did the absolute best they could. And that saying actually helped to assuage a lot of anger. Because, I mean, yeah, there's all kinds of pressure and rabble rabble and stuff. And it's like, yeah, hindsight's always twenty twenty. You can always look back and say, yeah, we could have done better, but uh, we did the best we could. With what we've got well i know we're coming up on the halfway point here we're going to take a short commercial break and when we come back we're going to talk about ty's marketing agency because he's doing some ninja stuff in the space so we got the soft stuff out of the way now we're going to get the hard stuff after the commercial break so stay tuned and we'll see you back after the break Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. The Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash The Umbrella Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
when it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Amplify. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. We also would love to hear from you via email to info at theumbrellasyndicate.com. Now, back to Amplify. Welcome back, folks, to Amplified. I'm standing in for our esteemed host, Dr. Ken Rashan. He's actually away with a family deal. He's actually at a funeral. His brother passed away very suddenly. So they tapped me to stand in and uh, interview my good friend, Ty Shane, who's on the call today. So earlier, before the break, we were catching up about the things that he has had happen in life, which, you know, if we all look back at our, at our lives, there's lots of stuff that shapes us and forms into who we are as people. But too often people go through life and they think, well, life happened to me. But Ty actually is one of the few, the lucky few who has realized life happens for him. And all the things that happened before have shaped him into who he is today. And he can look back and clearly see instances where, yes, this event sucked pretty bad but it helps strengthen him in some regard. So if you want to hear that, go ahead and rewind to the beginning of the show or however people listen to the beginning of a podcast these days. Back in my day, they used to rewind it. But we're going to move into uh, talking a conversation a bit about what you do for business. Now, I know you're a marketing guru. It says right here on Zoom, and we've also talked a few times about it as well. But tell us what you do. Like, What's your business about? What do you do? Who do you serve? And we'll go from there. Yeah, thanks, Fritz. So basically, I have been on my own little journey. As I'm sure everybody knows, AI is coming in like a wrecking ball. It is transforming. It, it's not about the, the the at this specific second transformation. It's the trajectory that we're on now. And so it's just like when the computer came out, there was a trajectory. You know, when we started communicating with people wirelessly, whether it was a uh, uh, what was it? Morse code was where that maybe first started from. Like mm-hmm. those points and those um, ideas, uh, you know, start to reshape the future. And so I've uh, been on marketing for, you know, about a year now. And so uh, right now I do cold outreach. And so that's my main squeeze is how do you get in front of decision makers? And so that's that's where I'm at now with, you know, the... Uh, the disruption happening with AI, I've been finding like, where is my lane going to be? Like, where can I, you know, best serve others? And so, I mean, that that's it in a nutshell. There's just so much to marketing. There's so many different ways to approach it. As a marketer, you could do a million different things. And so it's like, what are you going to do? And so I've settled on cold outreach. And so that's, that's the premise of what I do today. And so, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, AI is disruptive. And I know it's been around for a while. It's been, AI has just been around for a long, long time, decades. It tends to change form. I know ChatGPT is like the most recent, oh my goodness, everybody's going to get on ChatGPT. And leveraging that in order to figure out how to boost business without so much manual intervention. So I'm curious, as somebody who has got a lot more experience in AI than the average marketer. 
where do you see AI fitting in? Like the things that were really tedious before where you can just throw it to a robot assistant to do, what kinds of tasks should we consider handing off? Well, I mean, so that that realm, you have to look at it from a holistic perspective. Um, like it, it's not just chat GPT. You got to look at like what AI is doing in science, what AI is doing in all these other different realms um, and, and look at it from a number. So like a supply and demand. When when you increase the output, but the supply or, or the demand is decreasing because it's more easily available and accessible, while the outputs of those that are in existence increase, what is that going to do to the different various markets? Is there going to be as much room as you know the previous mathematics would allow for players in different industries? So it's like now too as well, for example, like you maybe you needed 10 employees to cover, you know, you know, all this effort for, you know, say a, a thousand customers. Well, if you no longer need 10 employees, now you only need three employees to do the same amount of work to serve those, you know, that, that amount of customers. Um, once we start to blanket that across the landscapes of all the different industries, you know, like people are overlooking AI in the medical field, for example, anyone who analyzes any sort of data, their job's already gone. It just hasn't been put into place yet. And so even people into college degrees for these medical, you know, analysis jobs, sorry, your, your medical degree is not going to be worth much here soon because we now have a solution that makes literally less than half as many errors as you, if any at all. Um, and so, um, I mean, the landscape is just basically the, the whole purpose of AI is obviously to streamline and to make things quicker, but it's also to reduce error and increase the quality of the output and efficiency of a process or a task. And so um, I think the first mistake with the AI discussion is looking at it in a unidimensional um, because if you look at innovation, if you look at technology, look at science and all these different things, it's all been driven by a human. Up to this point, it's been a human. And so when we hit a problem, we've got to have a whole bunch of different humans, you know, confront it, look at it from different angles, see if they can figure it out. Well, what's going to happen when all the historical innovation that we have experienced goes on an entirely new, uh, you know, upward angle where like we are no longer the ones that have to drive that innovation. We're no longer the ones that have to solve those problems. And while we're sleeping, these problems are getting solved. Things are getting figured out. Tasks are getting done, um, processes are being completed, um, and it just it can run twenty four seven. Doesn't need you know doesn't need rest, doesn't need to you know go take a break, doesn't need to do any of that. And so um, obviously that's not directly relating to like marketing and what I'm doing specifically, but that's like I think everyone needs to look at it for the holistic impact that it is in every different sector, you know. When's it going to play a role in politics? When are we going to end up having some sort of AI system within politics? When are we going to have it within, you know, who knows who knows what systems um, potentially that AI will be will be used in? Whether it's logic and deduction and deducing different things, whether it's for solving problems, whether it's just for giving you your time back for processes that used to take you an hour or two, and now you can get done in 15, 20 minutes, and even better. 
you don't have to spend that 15, 20 minutes because it's doing most of the work. You can have someone else with far less skills spend that 15 to 20 minutes to get this high skill task done. And so, um, I mean, that's, that's, that's how I see AI across the board, um, reducing the amount of people required to, you know, achieve an objective or to, to execute, execute a task. And then to obviously severely diminish the time required for that task or for that project, if we're looking at innovation. Um, mm -hmm. And so if you got to think about it too, like AI is coding. So like there, if anyone's been watching different brands and stuff who are in software space, um, there's record level, there's record rates of development happening right now across the board because the speed in which people can move has been extremely increased, has been increased uh, exponentially. Um, it's definitely, it, it's beautiful. Um, so that, that's my answer to that question. It, it's hard, it's hard to keep it in a little box because um, I think that's the first mistake with AI is only looking at it in like one use case, just marketing, just chat GPT, just this, this, or this, because it's impacting everything right now. <laughs> yep, it is. Well, and I thought, well, for the second half of the show, I mean, we're going to talk about some nerdy stuff, but it's still philosophical, just like the first half, because I think now more than ever for people to live in a post AI world, I mean, we're going to have to dial in on exactly who we are as people, who are we as humans? And going back to what you said before about how, yeah, too often people go to college and then by the time they get out of college, it's like, well, some of the stuff I learned isn't actually relevant because there have been some advancements that have been made in the last four years. It's like, whoa, I mean, even AI is disrupting education, like in a, in a secondary way, not directly, but if you're out, if you decided, for example, let's skip college. Uh, let me just figure this out as I go, right? You can iterate a lot faster. If oh, you yeah. go into college, then you have a four-year iteration. You're saying, hey, I want to learn this stuff. Here's a block of knowledge. I'm assuming that this is going to be relevant, 100% of it, once I leave. And I went to college. When I was in tech school, they had some equipment. They had a they had a telecommunications laboratory. I wasn't a telecom student. I took a couple classes there, but I was a I was a hardcore electronics nerd. Like I could build circuits and stuff, man. You wouldn't know it to look at me. Like he's a podcaster. What he talks to people. Nah, that wasn't always the case, man. I was a <laughs> huge nerd and I was not closeted about it either, bro. And we had some people that came and they were kind of looking at the equipment. They weren't from there, but they were visiting the college and they were like laughing at the server stacks. And it's like, what are they laughing about? Well, because the technology was so woefully behind the times that you can learn the stuff, but once you leave, you're like 20 years behind the curve. Things are things are changing at lightning pace out there. I, I use, I tend to use AI quite a bit for things like ideation. Like if I need to come up with, for example, a show name for a podcast, I'll just ask it and say, hey, I'm, here's a show. Here's the person that I'm building the show for. Here's the target demographic, the kind of guest. Here's a description of the show. Can you come up with 20 or 30 possible show titles? And it's like, oh, yeah, sure. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, it would take me a whole week to come up with this. I'd have to ask my wife. I'd have to ask the girls. I'd have to ask random people. Hey, what would you call this? And it's like, yeah, boom, done. And the, the other thing, too, that AI, I think, is going to disrupt is really something that's been near and dear to me for a long time, I really 
I feel like the way that we work, at least here in the U.S., I know people are watching and listening to this worldwide, but here in the U.S., we tend to put our identities in our work. Like, what do you do? People ask, what do you do? And it's like, they really want to find out about you as a person, but they distill it down to what do you do for a living? Well, I'm in this space, or I'm a software tester, or I'm a software developer, or I'm this or that. That's what you do for work. That's a role. So if AI can come along and disrupt some of that, maybe we'll become more human. That would be kind of... That's an interesting perspective. I, I think the best way, the way I visualize it or I like to share with people is imagine the indu uh, industrial revolution. Mm -hmm. So obviously we're not, we're far beyond the industrial revolution, but everything changed. So we were agrarian before the industrial revolution and post-industrial revolution. Now mom's here, dad's here, child's here. And so, and as well is the day-to-day -day activities and the the day-to-day -day lifestyles and way of living has severely transformed and it has improved. And so through that improvement, of course, things fell, but then a lot of things were built up. And so now we have a new starting point and a new foundation. The way I perceive AI is we're in basically a, a, a proxy uh, industrial revolution and what is happening is our new starting point that is being built is also kind of almost resetting information. So everything that was in existence is now like it's accessible to anyone and everyone in some capacity. And right. it's not that you have to uh, very meticulously research or put in all this work or do these things. It's like you literally at the, the touch of your finger, at the, the, the tip of your fingertip typing you now are all the information that previously existed. And so that's almost like the premise of this new quote, unquote, like proxy industrial revolution. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be an incremental process, but there's going to be a lot of new starting points within our world. Like I was saying before, from medical to, to science, to technology, to, you know, how tasks are performed and how things are completed what are the jobs? So like we aren't working in the same kinds of jobs as we were pre-industrial revolution. We're not out farming. We're not out in the sun all day. We're not out living off the ground. It's just, there's, there's all these new, you know, windows of opportunity um, professionally uh, through hobbies and all sorts of stuff. And so I, I just see AI as being a version of the industrial revolution. That's just going to have the same, you know, conceptual reset um, but this time it's almost like our information is reset because I can go be Grant Cardone through AI. I can go be, you know, Kevin O'Leary through AI. I don't even need to go read their books anymore. I can just talk to them through AI. So yep. obviously it's not the same, but it's a premise that we have never experienced before. I don't need to go spend necessarily $10,000 to go to this person's mastermind, although that would be the best choice because that would put me around people and the social aspect of it. But I can get that same information now through AI. And so um, just, I'm not saying that those are the best solutions, but that's just a new introduced approach to things. Um, it's just a new starting point. And so like, and then it's, you got to think of all the automations and everything. So it's like, you know, before we had technology, how clunky were we? Before we had email, how clunky was snail mail? You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. 
um, it's just going to be a, a huge wave of, of, of transformation culturally, socially, you know, in college, I was a sociology major before I dropped out. And so it's just like putting on a sociological lens, like how is this going to transform just as the industrial revolution, just as, you know, technology and cell phones, you know, how much has a cell phone transformed social culture and, you know, everything. <laughs> so yeah. it's going to be a, we're in for a wild ride and I'm excited. I'm excited too. And I think back when it first started coming around. So back in my corporate days, I used to be a software tester and I was always with in the automation space. And so it wasn't really bothering me as much, but there would be times when I would talk with straight manual testers and they would, you know, automation is going to take our jobs. And I'm like, it's really it's really not the only way that any kind of technology can take your job is if you're unwilling to change some aspect of what you're doing, right? And that's just an evolution thing. If you're unwilling to adapt, then yeah, you can go extinct. And that may sound scary to some people, but for the people out there that are okay and actually very much welcome the idea of evolving, very much love, the concept of becoming a better version of themselves, they're fine. They're not going to be at risk. They're not going to lose anything. This is another great tool in the toolbox. And I was amazed the first time that I ever heard about AI being used in the context of, I can talk to this person, I can talk to this chatbot as if it's this person because they're programmed. The chatbot's been trained on all of this person's books. There was a lady that gave a talk. I went to a National Speakers Association meeting a while back, and the lady is just all about data. She's a huge, she's a nerd too. And she's all about data. She's all about AI and chatbots. And she said, did you know that you can train a chatbot on your books? And if somebody comes to your website, and you've got that chatbot there, they can ask a question. And the, the answer that that chatbot gives is given from the context of all the books that you've written. And the first time I heard that, I had this, but then I was like, well, that makes sense. I mean, a book is just information. And if you tell a chatbot, hey, take this and answer questions that people just do the best you can, you know, you're doing great, buddy. And it's like, man, we've got that ability. We've got like a micro Google search engine that's trained on just the stuff that we, it's amazing. It is still the thing that disturbs me. Like, I'm not worried as about AI, like what people might be worried about. But going back to, you were talking about how this is equated to the industrial revolution. I mean, back then there were Luddites. There were people that were like, hey, we don't want this to happen. This uh, machinery is taking our jobs. And like they were actively sabotaging things, hurting and killing people in order to make that not happen. It's a little concerning because I know that that's going to be something that is probably going to happen again. History tends to repeat itself, boys and girls. And it's like, well, I hope that's not the case. But if it is, what's that going to look like? How are people going to try to sabotage AI? How are they going to you know, try? I guess hackers would be one thing, but it's something to look for. Well, quick question. Um, are you familiar with, so th I mean, this is just with the whole AI thing, but are you fam familiar with Neuralink, Elon Musk's company? Yeah. So there's Neuralink, but then there's a competitor. I mean, there's a few, but the other one I know of is Synchron. 
So basically, have they have already cracked the code of a uh, an organic brain to a to technology interface communication. So they can now translate your brain waves into a language that technology can understand. So I mean that should scare the crap out of all of us. Um, if you're following a lot of the different AI things going on with how you, how to get in someone's mind, um, you're gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna want to be getting in legal trouble in like 20 years because they're just gonna read your mind. Yeah, uh, that's the direction I see that going down. Um, but what these brain chips? So right now they they have this wireless interface with technology. They've already completed trials in the UK, both Synchron and Neuralink. Now they're in the US right now doing their trials in the US, um, projecting forward. This is where the, we're in like the era of human augmentation. So we we have CRISPR Cas9, so we can modify human genetics top to bottom. Absolutely nothing. We cannot cut, change, splice, add, remove anything. That Pandora's box has been open now for what, 11 years. Right. And now we have these brain chips. Now we have hacked how to create um, a, a seamless experience between technology and your brain waves. So they've already cracked that code now. Now you throw in the AI into it. And now it's like, okay, well, where, is, where are the potential trajectories of this kind of um, advanced technology? Well, basically, imagine having an AI extension of yourself, but directly interface to your brain. This is where I start to see the hacker thing that you're talking about. Like if I was Russia, China, Iran, any of these people that are doing crazy stuff right now, North Korea even, I'd be like, okay, we know that this is coming. We know that this is in the roadmap of these companies, Neuralink and Synchron. They want you to have information at the touch of your thought. I see that, the four minutes. Um, and so when you talk about like people waiting to intercede or to, to you know, to, to disrupt with some sort of corrupt, you know, activity or behavior, that is where I see but the hugest potential kickback is because once we uh, embed technology into our organic selves like that, one thing we learned about computers is nothing is safe. Nothing is safe. Nothing is safe. Nothing from technology is safe. And so that, that, and they've already like Neuralink, Elon Musk, they already talk about it. You know, information at the tip of your thought. You no longer have to learn it, think about it. Or, I mean, you don't have to learn it, study it or anything. You just think about it. And at any moment you can get access to any bit of information. And so um, once we have AI brought with CRISPR, brought with um, uh, these brain chips and stuff, that, I mean, that's literally where we're going. I mean, there's there's literally no way capitalism is not going to take us in that direction because now you don't need college. We know Elon Musk hates college. So there's a solution for college. You don't need to go to college anymore. Just come get a Neuralink, you know, just come get a, a, a Synchron chip in your brain, you know. And so, oh, man, I think th I think that's where it actually gets a little bit scary because um, everything we saw in movies is coming to life as kids. You know, I watched all these different movies and now I've got Elon Musk bringing movies to life. We've got robots, iRobots, you know, coming to life. I'm not saying doom and gloom and take over the world, but I'm just saying like these are the directions we're going in. Doesn't mean there'll be those negative, you know, consequences. But the stuff we saw in movies is starting to happen in real life. And so, um, but yeah, so that that that's what I see coming. That's really going to start stirring things up in the pot because those who have brain chips are going to outperform 100% of the time people who don't because these people don't have to learn it. They just have to think it, right? And they know it. And that's way different than this one who has to read it 20 times, has to find it 20 times, has to spend at least 20 minutes in it. This one just spends a second thought, second thought, second thought every time. Yep. Goodness.
Well, I'm pretty sure anybody listening to this is going to be side-eyeing their Roomba robots now. They'll be like, I'm watching you, bucko. <laughs> like, I'm watching you too, man. I'm mapping out your house, bro. So, excellent. <laughs> no, years ago I saw, I used to watch uh, the sci-fi show called The Outer Limits with my dad. And there was an episode of the show. I mean, this is like 20 plus years ago. And it seemed like that is so way out there. Like that is so in the future, like a hundred years from now. Yeah, everybody had some kind of an uplink in their head. And then there was one person, one holdout. They were trying to like get her and capture her and put one of these things. And she's like, I really don't want it. It's dangerous. And they were like, no, no, it's great. We can do all this stuff. And come to find out the system went down. And she was the only person in the whole civilization that was able to teach them how to read. So they kind of, something happened and they, you know, went a step back and were like, well, we're back at square one. And so now she is, she is capable of teaching them. So, oh, wow. oh man, I had seriously no idea, you know, for the folks at home watching this or listening to this, we didn't plan any of this conversation. He's like, can we just have a conversation? I'm like, yeah. And I've been looking for an opportunity to have a one-to-one -one with you for as long as I've known you. And I'm like, I think this counts. Does this count? This one-to-one? -one? This is a heck of a one-to-one, -one, bro. A, a whole podcast episode? It's amazing. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up. And I really, truly appreciate the gift of your time and the opportunity to chat with you. You're doing great things. You're not letting anything in your previous years hold you back. In fact, you're using it as fuel to fire your dream. And that is massive, massive props to you, man. If nobody's told you today that you're doing awesome stuff, well, they just did because I just did. So <laughs> thanks, appreciate, man. Appreciate you, bro. And for the folks at home watching this, uh, be sure to come in next week for another episode of Amplified with Dr. Ken Rashan. It should be back in town. And until the next time, take care, have an awesome life. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplified. Be sure to join Ken Rashan again next Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, go get your message heard.